Welcome to episode 29 of Communicast, a communication skills podcast. I'm Scott D'Amico, president of Communispond, a global communication skills training organization. In this episode, I'm talking with Kevin Wildey. Kevin was the chief learning officer for General Mills, currently serves as an executive leadership fellow at the Carlson School of Management at University of Minnesota, and is the author of Coachability, the Leadership Superpower. Check out the episode to learn how to avoid the five faulty assumptions that prevent leaders from remaining coachable, find out how to get into and stay in the learning zone, and hear about Kevin's experience as a chauffeur for the legendary Jack Welch. I hope you enjoy. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, terrific. Hey, thanks for uh, letting me join uh, join your uh, discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So to get get us kicked off, really, before we dive into the, the nuts and bolts of everything, why don't you tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself, your background, you know, your career journey, and, and ultimately what you're working on today? Yeah, thanks, Scott. So 34-year uh, uh, corporate career, uh, General Electric and General Mills, mostly in talent development, though I did spend some time in quality and manufacturing and a number of the divisions. But I was at corporate for a while and uh, at their training center. So I got to develop leaders and then bring leaders in as teachers. And that was terrific. And then 17 years at General Mills doing the same thing as the top of uh, top of the house talent development. Uh, retired, uh, been teaching at the University of Minnesota for seven years, uh, now as uh, an executive uh, leadership fellow in uh, their MBA program and another program, uh, and then researching. And, you know, my, my, my favorite topic right now is how to keep leaders learning. And that's my recent book on coachability. Outstanding. And I would just have to imagine, knowing what I know about GE and General Mills, really both organizations renowned for their their leadership development programs, accolades all over the place and just really the industry stand of what organizations look to when they're trying to develop their leaders. So you take that experience, combine it in with teaching at the MBA level, layer in the research and focus on leadership and coaching. You know, I would imagine that a common thread that runs through all of that in order to be an effective leader is this idea of communication and being a strong communicator so when you hear that term or you hear that a leader is a really good communicator, what does that mean to you? What what pops into your mind? Yeah, Scott, it's a great topic. I, in reflecting uh, for this discussion, I was thinking way back to my junior days at uh, GE. And one of the first training programs I took was about communication. It was that important. And everybody took it and it became a, an important topic uh, throughout my career. And then same at General Mills in our leadership institute, we had communication courses. So I think it is fundamental uh, if you want to make a difference uh, as a leader, it's not what you have in your head. <laughs> it's how you inspire, how you communicate, how you listen, uh, all those things. And the thing I tell my executive MBA students is you might've had those classes, but you're not done. The stakes keep going out up the uh, the conversations are become more critical and you have to be a student of the game and so i appreciate what you're doing to to help others on this very important topic no no absolutely thank you and really appreciate the work that you're doing especially around you know, the research with a new book on coachability i know i have it here yeah this hey, thing all yeah, right absolutely thank you. Uh, hey you got it you got it bookmarked i like that especially exactly there's <laughs> some some great tips in there especially you know I'm, I'm liking the parts at the end of each chapter and each mm -hmm. section where you have some worksheets that you can fill out and really focus on on applying it so you, if you think about communication 
and you have people that are really standing out. As you mentioned, it's not just what's in, in your mind, what's in your brain. It's how do you get that out? How do you get that message out and inspire people or move people to action with it? So from, from your perspective, what, what does a good leader do to effectively communicate or really inspire their people? Yeah, and, and I've, a great question. And I've had uh, great role models and coaches over the years on that topic. Uh, and I've tried to learn and emulate them. And I, I think there's a couple of things I'd share. The first is, uh, I remember one time I was giving a very important presentation and I was getting my PowerPoint deck ready. And I thought, you know, the guy that's teaching my communication course, I should probably have him come to my office. And he stopped me cold as I was out to pull, I was about to pull up my presentation. And his first question was, tell me about the audience. Like, what? Don't you want to see my graphics on my pages? Don't you want to see it? No. Tell me about your audience. That's probably the first thing I always try to remind myself. It's not about me. And at first, it's not about my message. It's about them understanding them, their interests, their, their needs, their challenging questions, how I can add value and help them. And from that point, then saying, what's my message that connects? And then stylistically, how do I bring my best self to that message? That is so great to hear. One of the things that that I tend to say a lot, really, if I think about leadership, when, when you move into leadership, it's no longer about you. It's about it's mm -hmm. about the others. It's about the people on your team. Very similar when communicating, when you're bringing a message forward, whether it's through a big speech in front of an audience, presenting something to your leadership team, whatever it is, you really need to think through the lens of the other person, the audience, the receiver. What are their interests in this? What are what's motivating them? What concerns may they have? You know, what style are they going to learn best, receive this information best? Really, if you start there and then, as you mentioned, start to build on that, that's a great, great recipe for success. Yeah, absolutely. But but it's counterintuitive because mm -hmm. we get so excited about our own stuff and so enamored with style that we're we're jumping ahead of and we're missing the fundamental. So Scott, we're in agreement. Yeah, I've definitely seen a number of presentations that were style over substance. The, mm -hmm. the deck was phenomenal. You could tell hours and hours and hours went into developing the visuals on the deck, the transitions, but the message really just wasn't there. And you could tell it wasn't tailored to the specific audience. It was really focused in on what the presenter wanted to get out there. From your research Kevin, and the work that you're doing around leadership and leaders in, in the business community today, what are some of the key soft skills or communication skills out there that, that you're finding either most important or perhaps you're seeing that there is a big skills gap out there that, that folks really need to focus on? Yeah. So we're in agreement that always working on your communication, always working on connecting with others, understanding them, that's fundamental. I, you know, And we're kind of skipping that. Yeah, you have a job to do. So helping, you know, I, I don't want a leader to, to sort of lead from the back of the room all the time. It's like, no, no, you, you, you help us with strategy, help us with where we're going, get us excited about the purpose, you know, all the things that you should be doing. So it's, it's getting to know and inspiring those around you. And then also, okay, so where are we going? And let's, let's bring that to bear. So, and again, clear communication is, is critical there. The thing that I've been working on, curious about, and it goes back to, if I may tell a little story mm -hmm. that, uh, in my last few roles at, at my last company, I would meet with the CEO and the senior team, and we would do a regular review of the top leaders, all 500. Company has been great, a lot of great talent. Uh, and so we were talking about who's successful, who's ready for the next big promotion, how do we develop people? Great conversation, and you could tell the leaders really cared. But I started noticing 
not everybody made it. And somebody on the list last year wasn't on the list this year. So I started doing a little, by the way, we, we had a lot of success, big list mm -hmm. of great talent, but there were a few that, oh no, they stumbled. They got over their heads, they, the, the career derailed, something happened. So I started doing a little side project on, okay, when uh, a good leader that we, we loved, we challenged, we moved them ahead, something happened that it's not working out and they had to leave, I would do a postmortem. And I'd interview the manager, I'd look at the personnel file, and I'd kind of do kind of a quality Six Sigma, what was the defect here, if you will? How do we avoid that both in terms mm -hmm. of um, company costs, but more importantly, human costs, because nobody volunteers to derail, right, Scott? Like, right. no, I don't want to be a failure. And uh, I found some patterns, shared it with the senior executives. The most important finding was I looked at their last 360 survey of record. And this is a survey of peers and direct reports and managers saying, how is this leader doing behaviors? One question, one question separated them from my successful leaders. And it was this, does this leader seek and respond to feedback? In other words, are they interested in getting better inputs on others? And they were 30% lower on average hmm. compared to the successful leaders. And that led me down the path of, well, why is that? And why does it have that impact that, and what I've now called coachability, that we have it early in our careers and we are a sponge, we wanna know, we, we wanna get better at asking for feedback. And then later in a career, it's harder and we're busier and ego gets involved and other things. And for these leaders that derailed, I think they developed some blind spots because mm -hmm. they weren't getting feedback, didn't know what was going on and they were critical areas for their performance and so from that i started doing some research talking to other executive coaches uh, people like yourselves and others say, okay what what makes someone continue to learn and be open so they can avoid derailment and then i, I found this large body of research out there on how highly coachable leaders are better in so many ways engagement performance potential i even saw one study that measured the coaching skills of the leader with the coachability of their employees. Hmm. And believe it or not, the coachability mattered more. So in other words, it's not the skill of the teacher, it's the interest of the student. And then, so, I, so the headline there was, how do we continue to be students, humble students of our own leadership as we continue to grow? And that, that's the book on coachability. That's just fascinating as you think about it. And as just thinking back to the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago where we are talking about this idea of feedback and how mm -hmm. there's so much out there about how to give feedback, right? People are free with giving feedback, but when you look at the opposite side of that, where really understanding or finding training or resources on how to receive that, I don't know if you have those statistics in front of you, but as you just did the searches around it, it was just amazing to see the discrepancy in how much research and studies and books and trainings are out there about giving it versus receiving it. And based on what you're saying, it sounds like the ability to receive it and process it and act upon it is as much or, or more important than really giving feedback. And, and I'm hoping to at least balance that equation. Yeah, it was a Google, Google's trend search on how do I give feedback versus how do I receive feedback? In other words, how do I be coachable versus being a coach? Now, I'm a big fan of coaching and I'm really nervous every time I give someone feedback. So yeah, absolutely, I wanna be the best I can. But Scott, it would be darn easier in helping someone get better if I knew they did a Google search on how do I listen for feedback and how do I improve? And again, it's just under under overlooked. It, it, it's, and, and I'm trying to with this coachability book and, and my work uh, to say, hey, you know what? We need to up our game on that side of things. 
And if I may, let me take it to the kind of work that you and your listeners do is as we're trying to get better at communication, you learn by getting feedback, right? Mm -hmm. And so getting good at not just learning the process and the presentation, but I would, I would offer that, how good am I at, at uh, doing the things about being coachable? So that, you know, if I'm coming across in a way that I have no idea that it's, it's that negative or it doesn't land well, that someone can come up to me and give me that kind of input, or I can signal that I'm looking for it. Uh, so if you will, I think it's an, it's an underused muscle. And if you want to be great as a leader, and if you want to avoid the blind spots, and if you want to get all the benefits, uh, you know, getting, building that muscle, but how, how do I ask for it? How do I respond? Well, how do I do something about it? I think that could be very helpful. You know, I think when it comes to feedback and people's willingness to accept it and to act on it, you know, timing has to play a part in that, right? If I'm getting feedback about something weeks, months, you know, at the end of the year for something that I did earlier in the year, my my likelihood to really put a lot of stock in that or maybe value that or act upon it is lower. So one, as a leader to make sure that the feedback that you're giving is timely. And perhaps if you aren't getting that and you're seeking it, to your point, asking for the feedback, seeking out the feedback so that you can really make those adjustments in real time, as, as close to real time as possible. Yeah, yeah. Sooner is better than later. And I think it comes in two forms. One is um, signaling that, hey, I'm open for feedback. I remember mm -hmm. I was talking to a, a leader that took over a new team. And the first thing she said in, a, in her first team meeting was, I want to know all the news, not just the good news. I know the bad news, especially about myself. And she meant mm -hmm. it. And she role modeled that being very receptive to learning and, and having feedback. So, and there are ways of doing that. There's clearly ways mm -hmm. of saying, you know, I'm open, I want to learn. And then, you know, I always, I'm always a big fan of having your, a question in your pocket. Like, all right, I'll give you an example. Uh, here's what's going to happen, Scott. We're going to, we're going to finish this recording. And then I'm going to say, whoa, 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 we're not done. We're not done. And I say, Scott, we're off the record here. You got to give me two pieces of feedback. Mm -hmm. What did I do well in this recording? I should do again. And what's one thing that would be even better next time? Mm -hmm. And those are my pocket questions. And while I might have a specific topic, by the way, the last recording I did, someone said, Kevin, good content, slow down. Thank <laughs> yep. you. So you check me now, make sure I'm slow enough, but you know, pausing. Uh, but I think having pocket feedback questions, specific things, hey, I'm trying to get better at this. Um, you know, asking good questions, pausing before I respond, uh, being clear on the message, what, whatever. And mm -hmm. then ask those things often enough that you're in a continuous learning cycle. What are some of the things that you keep, that, that you think, or from your research you're finding, keep leaders from doing that, especially as they ascend throughout their career, maybe get later in the career? Yeah, back to my interviews and then coaching and research I've done, and I think we can all can identify with some of these. Uh, the first thing I found, I call the false finish line. And the false finish line is, oh, no, I, I'm the leader now. I'm the boss. Uh, I've made it. Uh, why would I continue to ask and try to learn and be humble? And I'm like, and to some, like, yes, you've earned it. You know, you've got a track record of success. Mm -hmm. We're confident you in this role and you need to lead. However, you are not at the finish line. <laughs> it's a continuous development journey. But the, that mo mindset about I'm the leader now, I can relax, I can get busy with the work and not continue to be busy with my own development. That's the false finish line. So I think we've all seen that. The reverse of that also happens, which, which is, I call the superhuman stance. And I've run across that with my, my MBA students that, oh no, I'm the leader now. And if I ask for feedback or how I could get better, they're gonna start doubting me. And they're gonna feel I'm not 
really smart enough if I'm asking for coaching. Now, in a very toxic environment, you've got to be very careful on how you do that. I get that. Nor, Scott, do I want my CEO running down the hall every week saying, what should I do now? Ah, <laughs> no, no, no. On the other hand, say, you know what? I'm an imperfect product. I'm continuous being developed. And as your leader, I'm going to do the best I can. But, I, you know, I, I need some feedback and coaching too. And I think that notion about, yeah, pe- people are, you know, if you're genuine about it and you respond well, you can ask for feedback. So that's the second one. So that, that, that's the, uh, the, the superhuman stance. The third one is very seductive. And I, I felt it myself and it's called the boss booster bubble. And what happens is once you get to be a leader or you ascend, uh, people start treating you differently and they're very careful about things and they filter things and you don't hear all the raw feedback you used to early in your career. And most bosses know, no, 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 no. I, you know, I got to have both sides of the equation here. I know it's not all good news, but for some, or you get too busy, like, man, I'm just hearing positive feedback from my team. I must be fine. And again, that's the booster bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, break the bubble. Know that you got to hear both sides of things. Um, then, then there's the, the, the fourth one I'll call the lonely lament. And I think it's become more true lately in our, in our COVID work from home era and all that. Mm-hmm which is early in your career, you had lots of buddies. You had people that would tell you things. Once you become the leader, you kind of stand alone. And, you know, there's more scrutiny to leaders and, and we have to be very careful. And I think we can get isolated. So we don't have what I call the truth tellers. We don't have the learning buddies anymore. We don't have that offhanded feedback or that, that there's occasional things that happen. And you can get isolated. Mm-hmm. So I encourage people, you know what, you, you, you got to find some coaches. You got to find some peer mentors. You got to have your you know, a little group you have breakfast with every once in a while and, and, and rebuild those relationships. So Scott, those are the big four. I thought that was it until I heard the fifth one, which is people would read the book, go to the seminar, uh, listen to the podcast, and they would say the following, boy, Kevin, this is great stuff. I love this. I don't want those faulty assumptions. I'm going to work on my coachability, but I'm really, really busy right now. So can we just wait a few weeks and then I'll start working on it? So I call that the, the, the magic moment mirage, which is there's a mirage out there in the future that things will slow down. I'll work on my stuff. Not now. And the answer is no, 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 no. And you know what? You know, you think you're done now. Wait till you see what's waiting for you next week. And so the coaching there is you got to find a little bit of time. You got to you got to make a commitment like, you know, I'm going to, you know, for myself and then, you know, to be the best for others. I've got to reserve a little room to work on my coachability or to work on my communication skills or to ask a good question. And you got to build that into your game plan. So those are, those are the five that I've seen. I love all the alliterations there with the, uh, the magic <laughs> moment, uh, mirage, magic moment, mirage, the, the boss booster bubble. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing those. And I definitely encourage folks that are listening, this listening to this one, start to reflect a little bit. Are you falling into any of those? And then we talked a little bit about the book earlier, some fantastic things where Kevin goes into more detail about those on the book. But so thank you for for sharing those. Kevin, as you think about your career success, you know, from GE to General Mills to teaching to author research, what can you point to or perhaps think of you one or two of these soft skills or communication skills that really have contributed to your success? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think those around me forgiving me <laughs> would probably, I'd start there, uh, both in, in uh, my work and now reflecting on, Ooh, I'm writing about this, but did I really do it myself? So I think humbly, uh, you know, that, that it's an interesting one, Scott, let me put it this way. 
Um, one of the studies I ran across measured 300 leaders, their coachability against their self-confidence. And of course, we would all agree, hey, self-confidence is very important, right? And what, what the correlation found is you can have too much or you can have not enough, and that impacts your coachability. So in other words, you're interested in growing and having feedback. So to me, the, 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 the sweet spot is that middle word, enough confidence to try new things, enough confidence to listen to tough messages, enough confidence to ask, but not too much confidence. And, you know, one side I call that the I can't zone. And we've all been there, right? I mean, there's times mm -hmm. like, I just can't learn anything right now, or I don't want to hear that right now. Like, oh, no, no. So I'm tired or busy. Like, yeah. But if you operate constantly in the I can't zone, you're never going to be a learning leader. On the flip of it is the I don't care zone. And the I don't care zone is like, you know what, Lord, you know, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. I'm whatever that topic is. And the sweet spot's the middle. And what we found mm -hmm. is the correlation highest on the highest coachable leaders, all those benefits of being coachable, had the right amount of confidence. And they operated in what I call the learning zone. And then all, mm -hmm. you know, the book's got all the, you know, the practices they do to stay in the learning zone. But I, I think that the clear message I would offer about if you're going to continue to lead and lead well, uh, operate in your learning zone. Enough confidence to try things, to listen to things, but not too much to get so busy that you're not humble enough to learn something new. That makes perfect sense. And I would think that there's, in a lot of organizations, especially probably large organizations, organizations that are growing pretty rapidly, where oftentimes people are just thrust into leadership positions without really any preparation. Maybe they were the top performer in their division, whether it was sales or really any division within the company, they're the best performer. So naturally people think, oh, well, you're going to be a great leader. You're going to be able to, to coach and teach all of our people to do this. But oftentimes they get there and they are likely that deer in the headlight, which can fall, you know, probably put them into either the you know, I don't care zone or I don't know, I don't have time zone. And then they start to fall into one of those five categories mm -hmm. you yeah. talked about earlier. So companies really need to be aware of this and focus in on really developing people proactively, so to speak. So they're not caught in this situation where they're growing or they have change and they just got to throw people in and kind of throwing them to the wolves at some point if they really don't have the ability or understanding of how to operate in their learning zone. It's a, it, you know, obviously transitions, particularly stepping into leadership for the first time is, is a great opportunity to be in the learning zone. And if I may, the, 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 the quick piece of advice, if the company organization is falling short of giving you the support, um, I would do a couple things. Uh, one, I, I would clearly try to get a mentor. Uh, one, one thing, one of the divisions at my old company did I thought was so helpful is when somebody was promoted from an engineer, smartest engineer in the room, to now the manager of that engineering group, they, you know, we had the leadership course and how to be a manager and blah, blah, blah. They always assigned a really good, uh, mature leader to coach them for the first six months. And it wasn't their boss because th those dynamics there, but it was someone else that, you know, mm -hmm. had the right skills, had credibility, but was also a good coach. And that enormously helped for the first six months. So while you know, there's good books out there, uh, obviously podcasts, things like this can be very helpful as well. So continue to be a student. But I would say try to find one or two folks that can be your regular coach to that you can air, you know, hey, I got a bad employee. What do I do about that? Or, hey, my boss is cutting my budget and that's impossible or, you know, whatever else that not only do you get the wisdom, but you get the support and the accountability uh, to continue growing as a leader. Does that make sense, Scott? 
makes perfect sense. And one of the things that I've found as well throughout my career is, is having that peer network. So I was very fortunate to move into my first time management positions, people leader positions at the same time as other colleagues in the organization, you know, a mutual friend of ours, you know, we kind of went through the, the ranks together, stayed in touch, talked regularly, bounce ideas off of each other. And to this day, you know, as we're going through something at our respective organizations, we'll call each other up and just get that advice. So I had a, a number of people like that, that really helped get through some of those tough times in my mm -hmm. early leadership journey. And as I mentioned, still to this day, talk to them on a regular basis to get ideas and feedback and really just bounce ideas off and see what, what their thoughts are. So I think in addition to having a formal mentor, if your organization's not pride, providing that, seek out people that are more experienced and then also having kind of that peer network can be invaluable. One of the things that we do in, in my Exec MBA leadership course is uh, we've got a, a grid of 19 competencies, right? And we're gonna study these things and whatnot. Communication's a big one. And we said, all right, pick three. And on a little Google sheet, they identified the three that they're pretty confident and strong in, or would be happy to help someone else out. So they call that the offer. So they put three O's in those, those, uh, those boxes for those. I can offer feedback and support on this. And then I said, put it, I asked, put it, put in the three things you want to learn. Those are requests. And what's amazing is when you look down, if you will, the columns with, with the columns being the competencies and the rows being the students, there's always a match. There's always someone who is willing to give advice on a competency and always someone wanting to learn. And that little date matching process opens up the kind of peer coaching that starts. And as you said, it's one that you can um, you can build over your current. And it's so important. But finding those who are like, hey, I want to learn this. And then, you know, I want to help someone, too. And how do we get that going? Uh, that kind of peer mentoring has been, has been very helpful. Well, that's a great idea. And I would imagine with the technology today, how so much of that could just be the data running and matching people up, especially across large organizations where they have so many people that they can pull from to leverage their expertise. It is. Can I offer one other thing? What was interesting is, again, you know, Professor Willis said, hey, there's always that magic column that matches. You go see him and you go see her and all that. Every once in a while, I get a competency that everybody wants to learn. Nobody's, you know, expert in. Mm -hmm. And what I've said is, I don't know if this breaks any academic rules, but why don't you form a study group? So in addition to sort of emotional peer coaching and finding someone who's wise, it's also the finding a buddy or group. Say, hey, we all have to learn the same thing. You know, three of us are new managers or, you know, we all have to go through this reorganization together. Let's form kind of a breakfast club and get together from time to time. And you know, what I told him, I said, by the way, when your paper is due on what's your development plan, if I see the same items from the group individually, I'm okay with that. That's not plagiarism, as long as you're serious. <laughs> now, if five papers look exactly the same, I might have to call you into the right. dean's office. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's notion about uh, plagiarism is good in the real world. Mm -hmm. You know, how can you learn from others, both that they're smarter than I am or they've got more experience, but also that, hey, we're all on a journey together. Let's kind of compare notes. Perfect. No, that's a, a fantastic idea. And I've seen that throughout my career in a sales setting where people were working, say you call it the enterprise club, if you were working the biggest of the big accounts where you get together once per month and kind of talk shop, so to speak, or get ideas, what are you doing with this account? What's working well over here? What's not working? So it is, you, you have this collective wisdom that you can pull from, whether it is when you're in school, and it's so important to keep that carrying forward as you move into a professional setting. Kevin, who who's been someone from throughout your professional career, or really any any part of your life that has 
really influenced your communication style? You know, what did you what did you take from them? What did you adapt, maybe tweak a little bit and make your own? Uh, so, so many leaders, it's hard to say here is one. Um, so whichever one I'll choose, I'll then think of, oh, there's 20 others that have made a difference. So uh, tough, very tough question. One of the one that I just amazed at is uh, when I was at uh, GE back in the day when, when the place was just just humming, just doing great. The leadership course I ran, we had the top 12 executives visit the class and they, they were guest speakers and they would bring in a topic, et cetera. They were all great in their own way. I mean, different styles, very different styles. And I think the message about there's the one there's no one way to be a leader or one way to communicate. They were very powerful. They're they were very authentic. Um, I'll just give you I'll give you one example uh, just about the classic difference. So I had, I had the CEO at the time, you know, charged up the late Jack Welch. I mean, he came in, he was excited. He was charity. I could set my watch within five minutes. Everyone else in the class was excited because he was and he was really into the business and where we're going. And it was a very genuine kind of the man, this is so important. Let's get it right. Um, and then uh, the, the head of, of law, let's call him Ben, came in quiet, reserved, thoughtful, and he taught with with kind of a, a Socratic method. Mm-hmm. And he would say, well, let me give you a situation here. What would you do? And you'd say, well, I, I would do this. And he said, hmm, I like that. But what about this? And he'd ask a question and you think, oh, that's not right. I would do this. Like, well, let me ask you about that. And it wasn't a, you, you know, you're, you're on trial here. It was a collegial, let's look at all the angles here. And if you're going to be a leader, you've got to think through things. And having, as you said, that peer group to kick things around, very different communication scale, but I both remember, uh, you know, the energy and excitement of, uh, of Jack Welch CEO, like, okay, I got to bring that energy to leaders and very authentically as I'm with groups and audiences. And at the same time, the, the quiet humbleness of uh, Ben to say, let's think through this together. I have some questions. I got to say, Jack Welch has probably been one of the greatest answers that I've heard so far in response to that question, to have the opportunity to, to really hear from him and, one of the great things that you mentioned there is this idea of authenticity. So with, with Jack coming in, I'm assuming that's that's his energy, that's his style to get people fired up. He's very passionate about it. And if some of the other leaders perhaps would have tried to mimic that style, it likely would not have worked, right? Because they, they really weren't being authentic, being themselves, or just trying to force it. And it goes back to what you just mentioned is that there's so many different ways to lead. You have to really find what works best for you, what you're comfortable with. Sometimes it is that hoorah leader that really gets people fired up. Other times it is, it's that quiet confidence or the, the humbleness to ask questions and ask for clarification, which can be so powerful. And I remember from my undergraduate, I, w- I was a teacher and going through my, my education degree, we had a class where the entire course was taught through that Socratic method, so to speak, mm-hmm. where we would be up around the room and she'd be putting questions to us and we'd be moving through the room based on our responses. So it really forced you to think and it's just a very memorable experience. Yeah, I think on that second one, and, and by the way, I'll, I'll say, yeah, I was actually Jack Welch's chauffeur because the uh, training center had a helicopter pad. He would helicopter into it. Um, I would pick up in my car and I would always have five minutes to drive him in and then do a debrief driving him out. So I got to know the guy kind of on a personal basis um, and great in so many ways. Uh, you know, and, and at the time I thought it was, that was the right style. And, and obviously uh, mm-hmm. times have changed. Uh, and he probably, you know, if he were leading today, I think it would be a different style mm-hmm. than what we saw back then. But yeah, there's, there's the man, there's the myth. Uh, but again, I saw, I think the thing that impressed me beyond Jack 
was his enthusiasm of building other leaders that it wasn't all about him uh it was about all of them being leaders and i and i always tell my class i said i think the number one job of a leader is not getting results it's not this or that it's building other leaders and i think the agenda for the week the agenda for the month or the year is okay in addition to getting the job done having everyone feel good about it is have i built their capabilities have I inspired them to be better leaders? Have I delegated? Have I put them in stretch things? If I built their confidence, uh, have I built uh, an inclusive environment where everyone feels they belong and can bring their best? Uh, have I created a safe space where conversations that can happen that are very important, but are kind of difficult conversations, right? Mm -hmm. With listening and respect. And I think all of those questions about how, how do I build the right place and how do I build leaders around me is something that I learned. That, that is a great, great lesson to learn is this idea of building other leaders and going back to that adage of when, when you're a leader, it's really no longer about you. It's about the, the folks around you, right? What are you doing to help them succeed? Whatever that means to them, not only from a result standpoint, but preparing them for their next step. Maybe it is they want to become a people leader. Maybe they love their job. They want to continue to grow their skill set and grow with the organization that way or they want to try something else out, move to a different position. So it's really understanding that and figuring out how can I best help them get there. There was, it reminds me, there's this academic study I ran across. I don't think it's been published yet um, that looked at an organization and they were measuring, um, I call it the dynamics of talent hoarding. In other words, leaders that held on to their talent and didn't promote them or freely move them on because they were doing such a great job for, for his or her organization. And what they found is, they were tracking high potentials. And what they found convincingly is the best managers were magnets for high potentials because high potentials got promoted more frequently from that organization and from that leader. And again, back to the notion, but I'm not just building talent to get my job done. I'm building down. Yeah, I got to get my work done. So let's, let's be clear about that, you know, for, for the team. But it's also that I'm going to help you move ahead. And that reputation of being a talent magnet, because it's also a talent launching pad, uh, was kind of like proved out with the, with the research. And I'm just reminded, yeah, you're building leaders, not just to do your work, but more importantly, to advance them, you know, in their careers and in, in the organization. Now that's, that is awesome and exactly the way it should be. And makes sense that the, the best leaders are the talent magnets because they know that they're ultimately going to be successful with them. Yeah. Kevin, I want to be respectful of time. So as we're wrapping up here, what piece of closing advice would you have to folks that are listening, whether they're in school, maybe in their first job, or even mid-career trying to make a change? What advice would you have for them around their, their communication skills, coachability, whatever it may be, that can really help them throughout their career? I, you know, if, if I could only summarize that one phrase, right? I mean, the one thing I'd go back on that you've asked that I would say is that question about how can I operate 10% more in my learning zone? You, know, you look at your calendar in the morning, 10% more, end of the week, did I do it? What would it take to, again, have confidence to, to learn, to grow, to try things, to ask questions, and at the same time, to be curious enough and humble enough to know that you need it? And that's being in the learning zone. So my challenge would be, how could you operate 10% more in your learning zone? I love it. It's something that requires intentional focus. It's not just going to happen if you... Go in it with that approach. Oh, eventually I'll pick this up. I'll learn this. I'll do that. You know, the days are going to get away from you. The weeks are going to get away from you. The months are going to get away. The months will become years. 
there'll be phases of your career where you're not progressing because you're not really being intentional about how do I operate and stay in this learning zone by focusing on, you know, developing new skills, seeking out feedback and, and accepting and reacting to that feedback. Your, your word, your mindset of uh, intentional is probably one that you, you've mentioned before, probably. But I go back, if people want more support, if you go to my website, uh, thecoachableleader.com, I've got mm -hmm. worksheets, I've got tips and tools, thecoachableleader.com. And then also love to connect on LinkedIn. You know, if there's some follow-up questions or ideas, um, ha happy to continue to support that. Outstanding. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your wisdom and expertise. I'll be sure to put your LinkedIn profile as well as the link to thecoachableleader.com into the, the show notes for when this episode goes out. Once again, I know I mentioned before, if you haven't, you know, definitely pick up Coachability, the Leadership Superpower. Fantastic book. A lot of great tools in there. Uh, Kevin, once again, thank you so much. Hope you have a great day. You got to thank and know that once you uh, stop the record button, I'm going to have two questions for you. Perfect. I've Fair been enough. thinking about them. All right. Take care. A special thanks again to my guest, Kevin Wildey. This episode was just jam-packed with so much valuable information that it's difficult to pinpoint a key takeaway. For me, one of the main things that Kevin shared that really resonated is the mark of a great leader is not just the results, but how they are able to produce additional leaders from the people on their team. As always, if you haven't done so, please be sure to subscribe to Communicast so that you can be notified of new episodes. Thanks and have a great day.